Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by James M. Snell. James, welcome to the show. Thank you. So for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, yeah. So probably the past five, six years, I've contributed to Node. Um, I'm, I sit on the Node Technical Steering Committee. I spent a few years at, at a company called Nearform. Um, uh, where I was working primarily on Node. Uh, recently moved over to Cloudflare, where I'm working on the workers team. Prior to all that, I was 16 years at IBM, doing all kinds of things, all related to emerging technologies and open source and, and, and that kind of stuff. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, one of, the, one of the reasons why it's so good to have you on the show is that when I think of uh, somebody who's really senior um one of those paths is working on a on a technology like node that is used by so many other developers right you are yeah. you're building technology that other many many other engineers are using to to do their their job so it's sort of like you're a real engineer's engineer um has this has that pattern always attracted to you, like been attractive to you working on tools and technologies that other engineers use? Or is that was that a change somewhere along the way? Oh, no, that, that that's really been what I've been focusing on really for my entire career. Um, you know, even going back with you know, when I started with IBM, it was on prototyping emerging technology standards so that you know, we could put something in the hands of other developers to to go off and, and, and build things with. So, uh, yeah, I'd have to say it's it's been the the one thing that's probably defined my career the most. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. What I mean, when you when you think about doing that type of work versus building, I don't know, more typical consumer products, like how how different. Is it like if somebody if somebody were to come over from from building, you know, kind of the opposite, like not really uh, working on a runtime or something like Node, but we're doing something more surface level development. Like, what types of issues would they run into when when joining uh, a team like the the ones that you work on? Um, I'd, I'd have to say, so so most applications are written for a user or a type of user, right? And, you know, and typically when you're, when you're building these applications, you have a, a, a particular archetype of, of user in mind. One of the challenges when building a development tool is that you never really quite know what all is going to be um, used for. Node, for instance, I mean, it, you know, yes, we have massive server deployments of Node, but you can also run Node on a, on a Raspberry Pi, a tiny little I, uh, IoT device. Mm. The range of use cases is just absolutely phenomenal. It's massive. So it's really hard to kind of get your head around who the specific user is. And oftentimes it makes decision making on what you're going to do with, with, the, you know, with this code and what it needs to do makes it much, much harder. So just really that kind of broader range, there's a lot more stakeholders. Does that change? And so how does that change the way that, that you have to think about it when you are when you're working on it? Uh, in particular, it makes you much more sensitive to breaking changes, mm -hmm. right? You know, so I mean, if you have an, uh, you know, if you have a UI application, right, and you need to change 
some bit of function to make it more usable. You don't really necessarily, you know, care so much about the breaking changes if, if it's a if it's a net improvement to to for the user, right? But for something like Node, when you're dealing with you know, things at the API level and you know, things that literally millions of developers are using, uh, any breaking change, or even even if it's not breaking, you could, just, you could just be adding one new thing. It could end up breaking millions of developers' codes and, 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 and force them to, to, to spend a significant amount of time going back and fixing that. So, you know, the, the, the changes at those lower levels Kind of bubble up into you know much more expensive changes later on, uh, and that's something we got to watch out for. Mm-hmm. Does that does that give you like a really like fun sense of power of like how many people <laughs> you can piss off quickly? <laughs> no, no, I don't. You know, I don't think of it that way. Uh, you know, for me, for me, it's the opposite. I mean, I try. To, I yeah, try I not. To, I try not to piss them off. I try to make them happy with something new. But yeah, it 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 does happen. Yeah. I, you know, I often think about this too on on teams where, uh, I, you know, I guess it's just like where you are on the on the stack. Like, you know, people talk about programming stacks, right? As if like there are things stacked up on top of each other. And so, working on something like Node is lower on the on the stack. You have things that sit on top of it. And so, to me, I mean, I think it's really just like how how much of a foundation is the thing that you're working on and. And I guess it's like if you're just right, you know, working on a consumer app and the UI that's like the only thing that depends on it is a particular user, um, the number of things that you can break is is limited as opposed to something at the the foundation of a building where, you know, you you tweak that and then, you know, the basement's off and then the plumbing's off and then the electrical's, you know, off and like on and on and on and to even like the helicopter can't land on the top of the building and things yeah. like that so uh that's interesting do you do you think that this that type of mindset is useful when working on other things like do you find that that level of foresight and care to be a benefit or is it one of those things that is mostly only useful here because otherwise it you know it, it can just make you too conservative like how useful of a of like a, I don't know, culture is that, right? Yeah, I that it, it, it's a hard question. I mean, you know, so much of what we do in in in, in just kind of this field, the software engineering, is is, is is different. And you know, so if you look at other engineering disciplines, you know, once once the foundation is laid, nobody's going to be going back and making changes to it. You can just build on top of it and know that 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 foundation. It, it's you know, you might end up with. Cracks, you know, there might be forces that would work that, that force you to go back to work on it, but nobody's going to be proactively going out and redoing that foundation while you're trying to build the rest of the house. But in this industry, we do that all the time, right? We take these foundational pieces <laughs> and just like, oh no, here's a brand new foundation. Move your house over it, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, and, and where other people are just like, you know, hey, I invented a whole new type of foundation. Just rebuild the entire house on this. Uh, so it, it's, it, it's a when very... you put it that way, it sounds like kind of crazy. <laughs> you know, but I mean, it's, so it's it definitely is a different mindset and requires kind of a, a different way of thinking. Um, but in this industry, if we look at just kind of this industry, I think understanding that whenever you every line of code you write, every line of code you change is going to have an impact somewhere and it's going to impact someone else, uh, uh, impact the amount of time they have to spend uh, responding to that change. And just being sensitive to that 
mm-hmm. and it's a how much work you're causing somebody else, I think is critical. I kind of don't want that to color the answer to this next question, but <laughs> but uh, what what how would you and some people don't like this you know distinction or labels, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What do you consider to be the difference between a junior engineer and a senior engineer? <sighs> um, the number of mistakes you've made. <laughs> right. So you think so you think it's more of a, a like a, I guess it, it's not really hours, but but you think it's almost like how much time have you had to to make mistakes and and yeah. learn from them type of deal. I, yeah, yeah, and that's exactly it. You know, you know, in, in this industry, we all have something to learn. Right. There's all there's always something brand new for us to learn. You know, I've been doing this you know professionally for twenty plus years. I just started um, with the, with a new company, and I'm taking a month just to kind of learn their code base, learn their abstractions. You know, there, there's you know there's stuff I'm going into this where it's like I'm asking the beginner questions because I have to. Right. There's always stuff you have to to uh, to learn and, and know. The amount of knowledge you have about programming languages or APIs or protocols that will never define uh, you as a junior or senior engineer. It's the it, it, it's how you go out and apply it, how you um, how you recover from mistakes, how you learn from those mistakes and, you know, how you just kind of keep iterating on that process to make sure that the next, you know, you're, you're making those mistakes fewer and fewer. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like the I like what you just said about that, not defining you as a junior or senior engineer, because I do I do get the sense that that there are. Um, some engineers, uh, you know, maybe early in their earlier in their career, where they they almost think that the the defining characteristic or what makes somebody more senior is the number of programming languages that they know or or how much of different APIs that they have memorized. And and I agree with you. I don't I don't think that really helps. Um, but I also worry that it might be dis- discouraging to people listening that that just how much time it takes and that you you know you just there, there is nothing that you can actively do except and i know this isn't what you're saying it's just wait you know for time but you know i would be curious like do you think that there are particular skills or practices or or things that should be actively worked on that i don't know either help you make those mistakes faster or is there is there a faster path to to being more senior? Um, I'd have to say knowing how to figure out what you don't know, uh, okay. and and knowing how to you know quickly identify the gaps in your own knowledge and where to go to fill those things. You know, if you're looking at a brand new code base, if you're brand new to a team, you're looking at this and you're just like, I don't understand how this is working. You know, what this is doing. Um, you can either kind of give up or go off and spend a whole bunch of time reading, you know, tr- you know, trying to learn, or you can experiment, you can ask questions, you can, you know, there, there, there's ways, there's productive ways of getting that information. And there's o- other ways that are just gonna, you're just gonna be wasting your time. Um, try to get as hands on as possible. Um, you know, if, if, if you have a local dev environment, make some changes, see what breaks, understand mm-hmm. why those broke, right? Um, you know, uh, if you don't understand how something works, just, you know, what I call, you know, code spelunking, you know, just go, just go diving and, mm-hmm. and, and see if you can figure it out. But also don't be afraid to ask questions. Right? You know, if you're brand new to a project, everyone's going to assume you have questions and they're, and they're going to be fine with that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this has come up on the show uh, before, but I know that some junior developers are, are afraid to, to ask questions or someone's new to a team, they're afraid to ask questions either. You know, I think a common one is, is maybe they don't want to, you know, look stupid or, or reveal their ignorance. But I think often another one is that they don't, they don't really want to interrupt other uh, productive members of the team or, you know, more senior engineers. Um, is there, is, is there a, is there a too much? Like, can you ask too many questions or do it in the wrong way? Um, if you're asking questions without seeking to understand, yes. You know, I, you know, I, I've, I've, I've had this in the past, you know, where, where I've, you know, had someone, a, a junior engineer, who was just constantly asking questions. Um, but it was always stuff that, you know, hey, two weeks ago, I already explained this to you, mm-hmm. right? You know, and it was just kind of like this, this, you know, it was like this constant barrage of questions without, you know, them really putting in any effort into, in, in, into growing their own knowledge. Uh, and I explained to them, it's like, I don't mind helping. I, I'll spend as much time as, uh, as necessary to help but I also want to see you putting the effort in yourself to figure it out, you know, um, you know, come up with your own theory about what, what it is. And, I'll, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, I'll let you know if it's wrong or whatever. We'll work through it. We'll talk about it. But I at least need to see some effort on their part. You know? So it's almost it's almost that that you're happy. You're happy to spend all of that time. You don't mind um, being pulled off of things or, or, you know, investing, investing that time and helping somebody out. But you. You don't really want to seem like they haven't, you know, put in the investment on on their side. Exactly. Uh, which I think, yeah, I think that that totally makes sense. Um, and so you mentioned that that you're you're new at your current position. So, are you doing uh, code splunking now? And, oh, and yeah. how does and asking lots of questions? And oh, I yeah. guess like, yeah, how do you? Is there a way that you would be able to describe like how you approach that? today and i'm also kind of curious is that do you do it differently than than you would have in the past um you know when i first started writing code um you know i had a old uh, borland c plus plus decompiler and and you know uh, so <laughs> reaching way back you know when windows was first introduced and stuff i i would sit there and you know, start decompiling code and digging through, you know, uh, you know, assembly to figure out, you know, how things worked. And then would just randomly change it. I mean, there, there was one time I was randomly changing code in memory just to see what would happen. Right. And it's awesome. just it's just this exploratory, you know, in a process. And, you know, and, you know, just like for the past couple of weeks, you know, I've been doing basically the same thing. I have a local dev environment. So to understand um, how things work. I've just been going off and experimenting with stuff. I got a whole bunch of, you know, um, um, you know, broken experimental branches on my Git re- local Git repo uh, where I changed a couple things and the whole um, uh, build broke. It's like, OK, why did it break? So, you know, I go off and, and explore that. So, no, I don't think the process has changed. I, you mm-hmm. know, I fiddle and break things and then figure out what broke. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like the I like. I like the way that you you phrase it. It's almost like you've got these experiments, and and when you're talking about the the, the junior developer, um, you would mention that that you encourage them to come up with their own theories. Yeah. So is that the loop? Like you 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 have this expectation or this theory about how the output is going to change when you tweak the input, and then if you're surprised, that leads to more experiments. Like like yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's that's really it exactly. Um, you know, and then 
you know, like I said, you know, don't be afraid to ask the questions and say, oh, yeah, I saw this. I, I was thinking that it's, you know, that it works this way. Is that right? Right. And if they come back and say, no, it's, you know, it's this, this, and this. I mean, don't be afraid to try something because, I mean, folks are going to understand that you're new, right? If they, if, if they get annoyed at pointing those things out, that's, that's their problem, not yours. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's more on them. It, you know, you're brand new to a project. You're brand new to this code base. You're going to have questions and you're, there's going to need, there's things that are going to need, need to be explained. So try it and then listen to the explanation. Right. Mm-hmm. And then once you get the explanation, you know, seek to understand it. If, you, if there's some, anything in there that you don't you don't quite get. Right. Go out and research that. Seek to understand it. Ask more questions if necessary. And then and go from there. Yeah, I really like and maybe this is this is the angle that I think more junior developers need to um, more of the way that they need to think about it, which is that it's not just putting your neck out and asking a question, right? Like, yes, I understand that can sometimes be scary, um, you know, revealing like that you're, you're ignorant. Um, but it's, it's also, it's almost like you want to encourage like putting your neck out in, in like putting your own theory out. Like you not only revealing that you're ignorant but but being open to here's how i think it works and then being told that that you're that you're wrong um yeah yeah, and and that it's sort of the same kind of seems like the same loop too that you use where you're willing to tweak or change something even if it means the application is going to break because that is going to teach you something but it's that that loop of Here's my theory. Let's see how it works out. And it sounds like sometimes the only way to do that is is not just to have a machine tell you, but to have another human tell you, with like, no, 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 your mental model of this is is a little bit off. Here's yeah. here's how to fix it. Yep, yep. Um, you know, one thing I I have yet to ever read a piece of documentation online that was up to date. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. So. You know, it's like there, there's always things out there. I mean, you can go off and read these things and, and like, oh, okay, I, I get it. But then there's also there's always the reality uh, oh, of, so of, true. of how the code actually works. Um, and, and, and even the people sometimes misremember it. You know, it's like even just work on, on, on the current code base. You know, you know, some folks have made some suggestions and it's like, well, that doesn't work. I'm like, oh, okay. Now we know. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it just it came to mind when when I was trying to um, as part of the the node mentorship initiative, uh, one of the original goals was to help um, mentees land a commit on um, node core. And uh, I remember thinking like, okay, well, I should probably go through this exercise too. Like how can I really help somebody do this if I haven't actually landed a commit? myself and um it was a really really difficult exercise for for uh a lot of reasons i think i even like sent you messages uh asking for help to like try and find something that would actually be useful to land and ultimately the one that 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 landed was a documentation update it wasn't necessarily the documentation was was wrong but it was one of those things in in trying to make a change the documentation was like a little bit misleading or something. And that ultimately was the, (laughs) of all the things that was, that was what, what landed, but it is useful. Um, Yeah. yeah. How, and, and so I think the next question is, it it seems like you, your career, you really believe in uh, open source. I think it'd be 
yeah. surprising if <laughs> if you said otherwise. Um, building, you know, tools for other engineers um, seems like that's something that that you recommend as a very viable career path for developers. Um, is is that right, or is it a little different these days? Uh, no, I'd say you know it's very viable. Um, you need to go into it eyes open, though. It can be very frustrating. You know, engineers are opinionated people. <laughs> They're very very <laughs> opinionated. They're also very demanding. Open source maintainers um, have a really difficult job right now. Like you know, there's been a few that I've that, that I've known that have have nearly burnt out entirely in their career simply because of the demands their own user base is putting on them you know out of just the sheer enjoyment and love for whatever it was they you know they, they build this open source package and put it out there and they're so excited about hey look at this thing i've given you all and then the users come and the users start making you know hey can you add this hey don't do this you know and, and it's like this constant stream of demands the industry that's built up around identifying security vulnerabilities uh, in, in open source modules has just put a, trim, you know, a huge amount of additional pressure on maintainers mm, interesting. Um, because you, you'll get like a, a, a security vulnerability that'll come out like on a, on a, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday or whatever. And these maintainers will get these messages over the weekend. Hey, your stuff, you know, your, your, your module broke my code and you need to go fix this thing right now. And, uh, you know, and, and I've, and I've talked to quite a few maintainers who end up spending their entire weekends just kind of, you know, stressing over this, you know, over you know, this, this change only to find out that it wasn't really that critical of a security bug. Mm. Right. And, and it just adds stress. Um, so it, 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 it is, it's definitely viable, but you need to be aware um, uh, and uh, aware of, of those kind of challenges and have a strategy for dealing with those. Mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah, how do you, like, how do you, deal with that i imagine node is is the same way um is it just that it's it's you've got a larger team and it's more uh shared or how does that how does that work uh that that's that's a huge part of it um having that larger team like you know with with, with node there is a um, there's a team of core contributors that i absolutely trust i don't need to review every line of code i don't need you know the, that lands i don't need to look at every single change um and going back like in just over five years, I've reviewed over eleven thousand pull requests that have gone into Node. Wow! Right? Yeah. Um, but I still miss a bunch of, <laughs> and I still, you know, you know, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff that happens there. Um, we just had some security vulnerabilities fixed, you know, where it's like I didn't, I didn't have to look at them, but I trust you all to, um, to get them done. So mm -hmm. I, I, so building that team, building that community is absolutely a key part of it. But also just protecting your own time. Um, I do very little open source on the weekends, right? You know, and it doesn't matter if it's Monday, Friday, and Saturday, Sunday that you take off the weekend. When I say weekend, it's whatever time you choose to take off of work, mm. right? Walk away from the laptop, walk away from the computer. You know, you don't have to respond to those um, those issues on Git uh, on GitHub. You can walk away from it, come back to it in a day or two, and it'll still be there. <laughs> right now, the, the problems will still be there, but hopefully, you'll be much more relaxed when you when, right. when you go after. Yeah, so so sounds like you'd think that those those boundaries are very important, and and oh, I yeah. assume that 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 extends to just beyond open source. I mean, it just kind of seems like any any type of work or oh, yeah. or team like having having those boundaries uh, is important. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the funny story when I when I first started at IBM back in uh, 2001, and very few people in the division I started with was were working remote, uh, and, and most of my team was back in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm out here in California. The company directory listed me as being in North Carolina, and that it had my personal phone number there because I didn't, didn't have an office phone. So, you know, for that first week, I was getting phone calls at five o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I learned very, very, very quickly to turn off that ringer. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, nope, I'm, um, you, you, you can talk to me in a few hours. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I think now remote is so commonplace, but for a long time, it really, really wasn't kind of seem like overnight this is something that a lot of people have had to figure out is yeah. is how to set those boundaries correctly on on remote remote teams it, it's it's so hard you know what i found with with remotes it, it's not so much other people in, you know that you work with encroaching on your boundary it's you not setting the boundary for yourself right and enforcing mm-hmm. that it's so easy like hey i'm writing code all day i might as well just keep writing that code into the evening until it's done rather than just putting it away right you know taking away time from family or taking away time from just your personal you know uh you know maybe instead of writing code you should be going to the gym right mm-hmm. um you know so it, it's 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 those kinds of things it, it's it becomes very difficult to to have that that clear separation and to walk away from work when you're when you're working remote yeah i how, yeah, I mean, so you mentioned the gym. Um, like, how do you, how much of outside of coding time do you feel like affects your productivity in coding time? Like, how how much is routine? Like, what would you what would you recommend for for you know a junior developer? Like, like are there particular things outside of coding or or that, that should, they should be keep in mind because that really does affect their their career? just don't code all the time you're going to burn yourself out um right you know set you know set yourself a limit i mean it's it's you know it's it goes back to the whole thing you know limit the amount of screen time you have right you know go out and take a walk you know go to the gym you know go go do something that's not looking at a computer um because if you're just spending all your time looking at code thinking about code you will burn out very very quickly and you'll just get to a point where you just don't enjoy it anymore and it just becomes Mm-hmm. you know uh, it, it becomes impossible to really be productive yeah completely completely agree um so i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, backtrack a little bit because you were talking about um teams and how how much uh better everything gets when you've got teammates that you really yeah. trust you know you've been on uh, you know i'm sure a good number of teams over the years what what are the qualities of people that that you really want on your on your team like like what are those attributes that really make a good team member and separate them from from somebody that you're you you don't particularly trust or that you don't particularly enjoy working with or you just wouldn't really want them on a team Uh, it it comes down purely to humility the people that i enjoy working with the most are the ones that take a very humble approach to the code they write and the ideas that they bring to the table uh, and the ones I've enjoyed working with the least are the ones that are very arrogant um, or self-assured of, of, of how right they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, you, you find, unfortunately, kind of that latter 
attitude is very prevalent. Um, you know, you've, you know, there, there's no shortage of very arrogant engineers in the industry. You know, and they're just not, it's just not fun to work with them. It's like you know, it, it's you know, I, good ideas can come from anywhere. It can come from you know the people that have been in around for a while. It can come from the person that that just walked in the door or is fresh out of uh, you know fresh out of school or boot camp. You have to be open to those ideas. You have to be willing to, you know, knock things around and share ideas and come up with something better than the, you know, the, you know, the few lines of code that you wrote. And that's the way it has to get done. Right. So. Yeah. Do you think a lot of that comes down to, to maybe like personal attachment, like when people view something as their idea? And so whether or not that's adopted by the team is is like a reflection of their worth and that it's helpful to just think of it as like an idea and and maybe you know to the extent that there's discussions it, it's just there's there's less attachment or is it or is it something else i i i, I think that's part of it yes mm-hmm. but i also think that there is a there there is a toxicity in the culture as a whole um and we see this for instance in kind of the whiteboard interviews right mm, okay you know where People try to come up with, you know, hey, I've got a really clever tech puzzle and let me see if this new person can, you know, that we're interviewing can solve this. It's just this this idea that you have to be clever and you have to come up with the, you know, the the more complicated and quote elegant the solution is, the better, the better it is. And everybody should just do it that way. Uh, And I think it's an extremely toxic um, attitude because it just... It, 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 for the people that that aren't you know that, you know that haven't thought up that you know really clever way of doing it you kind of come away feeling like well crap i should have known you know mm-hmm. the, the, you know I, I i must have messed up somewhere and it's like no it's just you know do what works focus on what works if it if it can be improved we can all iterate on it together and improve it but don't hit somebody over the head with how smart you are yeah I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I feel like when you're on a team, you're working on projects in production. I feel like most of the work is not really trying to figure out some super elegant, clever solution, right? Like, you'd hope, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've 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 been on teams where you know uh, very little actually got done. Uh, because there was too much focus on just engineering purity of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's like I, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure it out because like I don't I don't want to say that that has no place or that that can't be useful sometime. Like I can I can I can also imagine that like in in Node's code base. So speaking of something that that you're pretty familiar with like i have to imagine that there are some optimizations that really are not intuitive that are very useful to the project also feel free to tell me that i'm completely wrong but no you're absolutely right um there there absolutely is a place for it you know um i i look at software engineering as a craft so i mean if you look at you know other types of crafts that exist like like blacksmithing and you know woodworking and you know and all you know all these these things there are there are great techniques that everybody really should pick up and there are ways where you know people can always get better there's always a new style there's always a new you know you know way of crafting that that, you know that that just is better and it and it's always good to seek those things out and just you know improve yourself as a craftsperson 
you know, but it, it doesn't make sense to, you know, uh, kind of lord it over somebody and, and like, <laughs> you know, hey, look how much better my sword is than your sword. I mean, yeah. Obviously, you're crap. You should just do it uh, my way. It's like, well, well, no, like, help me get there. Don't just, mm-hmm. you know, don't just hit me over the head with it. Yeah. So you mentioned whiteboarding interviews. Um, how, I mean, like, how do you figure out if somebody's a good fit for for one of your teams? I mean, like, what what is what is a good way to to interview or figure out if someone's going to be effective? And then, uh, kind of relatedly, like, how should uh, any developer listening to this um, approach that to to try and help them be more successful? First of all, I will say I I abhor, I hate whiteboard interviews. I hate making somebody code you know, on the spot. Um, I wish that practice would just die, a, you know, a, a, a quick horrible death. I, I, you know, I never want to see that. Uh, and, and I will never ask anybody to do it. For, when I'm talking to somebody, the, the key thing for me is I want to know how they think. I might ask them, you know, um, a scenario, um, you know, give them some type of application scenario. But I'll tell them right up from the start. I don't care about you giving me the correct answer. I want to hear how you're thinking through. I want to. I want to know what questions you ask. I want to know what issues you identify, because I really want to get a sense of how they think through the problem, right? And are they asking the right kind of questions? You can tell the level of of, of experience and knowledge a person has in an area by the questions they ask, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if they're asking the right questions, that tells me a hell of a lot more than if they were able to, you know, sort of uh, keep, you know, properly or, or, you know, balance a binary tree. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then so, yeah, so the, the second part, I'd be, I'd be curious, like, is there anything that a, you know, an engineer listening to to this can can do in an interview? I mean, it kind of, I mean, maybe it's what you just said, like, just keep in mind that it's more about sharing how you're thinking and maybe asking the right questions. But is there, is there something else that, that they should be trying to keep in mind to communicate? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's exactly that, you know, if you try to communicate your thought process. If, if you're, if one, if you're in an interview and they're asking you, Hey, just do this whiteboard thing. And they just sit there and watch you and, 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 and they have a problem with you pushing back and saying, well, why do you need this? Right. Can't we talk about, you know, um, you know, kind of the problems in, in general, then it's, I would say, you know, your best bet is walk out of that interview and go interview somebody else, not somewhere else. Right. Yeah. Um, don't be afraid of that. Right. And, and, you know, a lot of folks that are going into these companies, this is particularly, you know, for the, for those junior people that are just coming into the industry, understand that that company has to work for you just as much as you were working for them. Right. It is a partnership. Um, it, it is not that, you know, you have to, you know, beg and plead and take whatever you get. Right, um, it, it it definitely has to be a, a bidirectional yeah, thing. So if, the, if in the interview they're not willing to hear you ask questions and push back, right, then mm-hmm. you know you really need to second guess whether that's the right place. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely agree. So taking that, taking that kind of a little bit further, but I know it's it's going to be pretty different. Um, if somebody like if somebody wanted to, you know, maybe emulate your career path where you know they they work a lot on open source but also leverage that into their their career and and how they make money like 
how would you recommend somebody gets on that path? And then are there any things that, that should be avoided or particular things that they need to to keep in mind? Like, what would you say to somebody who's like, oh, I want, I would love to be working, you know, in the future, like on node core while, you know, working at, you know, this, this cool tech company. So if you're just starting out and you want to attract those, so I'll go back. So the way that I came to IBM in the first place, I was working at this tiny little company here in California. I think it had like eight people. Um, And, you know, there was no way that I ever should have been on, on IBM's radar. Um, But I, you know, I started working on some open standards stuff. Um, I started getting involved with, you know, forums and stuff. Um, this is back when soap was, uh, was, was starting to emerge. Everyone's um, favorite. Everyone's favorite thing. Uh, and, and I started getting involved in, in, in the public conversation around, uh, around soap. Um, and I started working on open source and I, you know, and, and, and I mean, this was 1999. This is before blogs existed as a term, but I had a website where I would post a bunch of links to, um, you know, uh, you know, all the different resources about soap. Um, so I started making myself visible, right? Mm-hmm. And contributing um, and to that and making it uh, visible that I was contributing. And that's what put me on the radar. Um, you know, I interviewed at Microsoft and, and IBM at the time. So, I mean, and, and that's the key thing. You need, you know, if, if you want to take that path, you need to make yourself visible working on things that those companies care about. Mm-hmm. So find the open source projects that you know the IBMs or, you know, the Cloudflares or, you know, whoever else of, of the world that you know that they are interested in and become a visible contributor to those. And so what would that what would that look like today? Like, would that be um, trying to to write blog posts about React or Node or is there a different or those not the, the same type of thing? Would it be more about writing like blog posts about things that are talked about you know and and you know i guess the like the w3c or or you know like those types of committees like what do you think that that would look like today the more or would it really just be trying to land pull requests and yeah like what what does that look like it's both so it's the pull requests and it's um really that kind of self-driven devrel um right mm-hmm. so dev devrel is a fantastic entry point to you know to to, to these companies um it, 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 when we're talking you know developer relations stuff that's writing the blog posts that's you know talking at conferences those things will get you that visibility um you know where, where folks will start to recognize you uh for the for the contributions you're making to the community um it's also good to back that up with contributions to the project itself and those don't have to be those don't have to be massive bits of code you know, like you, you know, like you were saying earlier, make some doc mm-hmm. changes, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about the visibility, right? Um, it, it's it's not really about the actual lines. So, so you're saying that, that people should try and speak at JSLA? That's that's oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> JSLA is fantastic. It's one, of my, it's one of my favorite meetups. So, ah, oh, thank you. Um, thanks. Yeah, uh, obviously, I'm I'm biased, but I <laughs> I, I definitely do think that even. Even if like speaking at a conference is intimidating and, and not just JSLA, there's plenty of meetups all over the place. And I think 
I think now it's in a way it's it's probably easier. Um, you know, a lot of meetups have gone online, and so it it might be easier to submit a talk idea to to many of them. And then once you have a recorded talk at a meet at a meetup like JSLA, then you can you can present yourself as more of a no, known quantity to a bigger conference like Cascadia yeah. JS. You know, I'm talking about the JavaScript world, but you know, a bigger regional conference like Cascadia JS, and then you could leverage that into, you know, something more like international. Um, and I think that's that's a, a pretty good path um, for the, you know, the DevRel. And so if you come up, you know, if you come up with a talk, um, you know, I'll just sort of share my two cents on this, like a, a, a pretty a pretty available talk for most people, even juniors, is to uh, really catalog your experience with a particular technology. You know, oh, yeah. so if there's if there's a a project, I'll just use Node because because we're talking together. Um, your your personal experience with Node, like your personal experience, like using Node for a project, coming in blind and just really detailing all of the gotchas or like your misconceptions and then how you figured it out and how you got, you know, something working. Um, like, what did you want? What did you do to get it? And then what did you, you know, what did you learn? What would you tell yourself back in time? Like that is a story that is backed up with useful, I guess, lessons that other people can take that no one else will be able to have your personal experience. So you're not really in competition against somebody else's like hello world Absolutely. express tutorial yeah. um so you can that story and stories are really good foundations for sorry i'm getting on a soapbox but stories are a really good foundation for talks and then once you have like a, a talk you can have a companion uh blog post you know or possibly even a tutorial that you can reference in your talk because if it's a shorter talk you know like 20 minutes uh, even even you know forty minutes like you you don't really have time nor will the audience have the attention to really get into the details and so it's nice for you to then have references to a more in depth uh, yeah. article and I think those things together um, that's a really that's a really useful um, way of of getting into uh, writing blog posts and speaking that that you don't have to have 20 years of experience working on the Unix kernel to um, to be able to do. Yep. Yep. Without um, question. Uh, and and so yeah and and is there okay so I, I think the final question for you because you have so much so much experience working on big open source projects. Um, yeah. What advice would you give for somebody to to try and land a commit on an open source project? Like, is there a particular size to target? Um, how should they try and like, like, I don't know, create issues first or or talk to people involved in the project? Yeah, how would you, let's just say you're brand new, like how would you approach it? Uh, two things, read the existing issue tracker. All right, go mm -hmm. through the existing issues and get, not with an eye towards finding something to do. Mm -hmm with an eye towards learning who you're, you're going to be dealing with mm. learn what the issues are learn what their style you know for for conversation and, and 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 how the feedback model typically goes look at look at existing prs and kind of figure you know, you know learn what you can about that process when you actually go to make your first change 
keep it small, mm -hmm. keep it straightforward. Documentation changes are fantastic for this. Um, you know, there used to be a thing with, 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 with Node. I, I hated it, but it was like, no, the, the small PR is too much churn. We don't want all this churn. Mm. And it was like, ah, just there, there, there's, there's no change that's too small. If all you want is to change a single paragraph or a single sentence in, in one of the docs to make it clear, fantastic. Do that. Get the, you know, get the basic flow of how, you know, uh, how we make those changes and then scale up from there. Love it. I think that is such good advice. Um, uh, James, this has been great. Where can people find out more about you online? Um, I am J.A. Snell everywhere. I'm, you know, Jay Snell on Twitter, Jay Snell on GitHub. Um, uh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm happy for folks to reach out on, on, on Twitter anytime. Um, I think we have to be following each other for, you know, for, for DMs. I'm not sure if I have that setting, but mm -hmm. you know, at, 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 at uh, mention me on, on Twitter and I'll get back to you. So. Perfect. Thank you for joining me today. Of course. It's been great. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. Recruiting at tech events can be one of the best ways to find and hire senior software engineers. Unfortunately, it's easy to make simple mistakes and wind up with no leads. Grab my free 12-point recruiting checklist to maximize your sponsorship investment at superstruct.tech slash event dash recruiting dash checklist.